Greetings, Faith family. He is risen. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy Easter, however you say it in your family. Um, I just wanted to uh, just say uh, good morning and welcome on, on the Lord's Day. And um, if you have not already done so, I hopefully you took the time to read the calling passage out of John 1 and to pray together with whoever you are gathered with. And if you haven't done that, I would encourage you right now to pause the recording and do that to prepare your hearts for the message that we have in store or that he has in store for us. We are finishing up our series on our resurrection season series called Living Like Christ. And um, and before I get to the passage we're gonna look at today, um, this is a different Sunday. This is a different resurrection Sunday. We're not all gathered together like we normally would be. And um, and obviously it has a different feel, but to, to give it a resurrection Sunday feel, I wanna read a traditional resurrection Sunday passage. And so uh, the Lord just put this on my heart a few minutes ago. So in Matthew 28, Starting in verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as it had began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended upon it. And, and his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Then the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Quickly, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb and quickly, with fear and great joy, ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. What an amazing promise that he is risen indeed. The first Easter that we just read there um, had a small gathering too, right? It was just a couple of women actually at the tomb. But the power that was present in the message that was sent on that first Sunday is changing the world even today. And so even though we're not gathered together as a faith family like we normally would be, there is still power that is changing the world today. Um, this is a different time. It's a different season than we've ever been in, maybe um, than we'll ever be in again. It's a, it's, a, it's a Resurrection Sunday that our kids will be talking about for years to come. Uh, remember that time when. And, um, and, it, and it definitely feels different. It's part of um, what I'm, I, I'm praying for my own family, for my own heart, for our church family, that we would lean into and not run from the difference. That we would even thank him for the uncomfortable things. It's part of why I'm teaching sitting down. Um, I don't like it. You know, you know, if you've been at Cornerstone, you know that I tend to wander around and wave my arms a lot. And, um, and that's hard to do when you're seated. It just really constricts my, um, my soul in a lot of ways. But I'm doing it on purpose. I could stand up, but I'm doing it on purpose because I want to remind myself that this is not normal. That this is not church. That this is wonderful. I'm glad we have this technology that we could, they're able to share the truth of God's word uh, this way and in song. Um, but this is not the gathered church. And so we want to long for the day that we gather again. That we can that we can truly just be the church again. That we can embrace one another. Um, we, remember, I've said it multiple times, but remember, guys, that the word of God is what conveys the gospel but it is the gathering of the one another's that displays the gospel and we need to keep that in mind 
as we long for his return and we long for our return together as a faith family. In this resurrection season, we've been doing this Living Like Christ series, and I just want to review where we've been. A few weeks ago, I taught on practicing radical hospitality in John 13, and we looked at the scene where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And then I looked at diligently diminishing distractions and, and the scene in the garden where, where the disciples had a struggle just to be praying for Christ as he said, keep watch with me and how we need to diminish distraction. And we've had a couple of weeks of fasting together and praying together through Zoom. If you haven't been a part of those, um, I would encourage you to be sure you're checking your email and your junk mail um, if, that's where you, if that's why you're not getting the emails and, and be joining us on those corporate gathering Zoom calls like we even had this morning as our corporate prayer gathering. Um, they, are just, they are wonderful times of being in the one another's as, as close as we can possibly be during this strange season. Then um, last Sunday we looked at celebrating God's story and Daniel Sidler and Chad Ryan went through the Seder meal and talked about how God's story has always been about a God who is going to redeem us and restore us someday. And then, on, and then on Good Friday, Friday evening, we looked at embracing suffering and how we need to let ourselves lament a little bit and linger at the foot of the cross. But today I'm going to be talking about seeing Christ's glory. And I'm going to be teaching out of Acts chapter 3. So let me pray before we open up God's word. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you for a season where we celebrate your storytelling. Um, and, and it's not just a fable, but it is the truth, and we know it to be true, and we're going to see it as true today. So Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would, even in this medium of technology and, and video, Lord, that you would um, use it to change hearts, hearts of stone to become hearts of flesh, and hearts that are already made in your image, that have been already filled by your spirit, that we would be um, emboldened and empowered in that power of your spirit to just be about your kingdom work. Lord, I pray that, that what we don't have, you would give us, that what we can't see, you would show us, what we don't know, you would teach us, and what we are not yet, you would make us. For your kingdom glory, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Like I said, today's passage is in Acts chapter 3, so you can turn there. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you um, wherever you're seated right now. Um, and I'm going to be ask, asking the question today, how have you seen Christ's soul-changing glory? How have you seen Christ's soul-changing glory? And hopefully at the end of the time, you'll have an answer to that that will help you better see his soul-changing glory. So the first point is in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and it is seeing through his eyes. To see his glory, we have to be able to see through his eyes. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's the fifth book of your New Testament. Um, and it's Acts chapter 3, and I'm going to start in the beginning of the chapter in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 to get us started. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., the hour of prayer. So they were still they were still corporate gathering in worship. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb, so his whole life, it's just a way of saying his entire life he'd, he, he'd never been able to walk, was carried along, and whom they used to sit every day at the gate of the temple, which was called Beautiful. It was one of the several gates that were, on the, that were at the temple. And it says, um, he was in order to beg alms and those who were entering for, to those who were entering the temple. So this crippled man who had been crippled his whole life is, is carried to the temple every day that he might beg in one of the entrances of the temple to people that are going to worship so that he could um, survive, maybe even raise money for his family 
Um, a cripple in that time was considered a social outcast in a lot of ways. So um, it says, when Peter and John saw him, that he was about to go into, the, and they were about to go into the temple, he began, a, he began asking to receive alms. So he's asking Peter and John for money. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Put this down so the wind hopefully doesn't blow it away as I teach outside on this beautiful morning. I love how it says Peter fixed his gaze on him. In the Greek, it actually means looked at him as if to study him. It's, it's the same idea as when Jesus looks at the rich young ruler and is studying him. And so Peter fixes his gaze and is, and is sort of staring at him. And, and he's looking at him not just with physical eyes, but with spiritual eyes. He's, he's, I, I can picture Peter asking the Holy Spirit, show me what to do in this moment. Give me the words to speak over this person. He had the eyes to not only see the man's physical needs, but the man's spiritual needs. It's, it's the same picture as in Matthew 9, when, when it says in Matthew 9, I think it's in verse 35 through 38 or something like that. At the end of the chapter, it says, where it says, Matthew, or it says Peter, I'm sorry, Jesus, seeing the crowds, his heart broke for them and he had great compassion on them because their needs were so many and they didn't even know where to turn for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He wasn't looking at them physically. He was looking at them spiritually and saying they needed shepherding, spiritual shepherding. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up shepherds for the field. By the way, that's us, right? And then in verse 6, it says, But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of the, the Nazarene, walk. What boldness there. And then we see in the next two verses, two miracles, actually. The first is the first miracle that ever happens in the baby church, this new fledgling church that just started in Acts chapter 2. Um, this is the first miracle, and it says, and seizing him by the right hand. So he reached, Peter reaches down his right hand, and it says, and raises him up. Immediately, his feet and his ankles are strengthened. So he's immediately healed physically. First miracle. Second miracle. With a leap, he stood and began to walk, which never having walked before in his life, that somehow he immediately learned to walk. That, that in and of itself is a miracle, but that's not the second miracle I'm talking about. It says, and he entered the temple and, and he began to walk and leap and praise God. Walking and leaping and praising God. There is the second miracle. Yes, we pray for healing at Cornerstone. At our corporate prayer gatherings at the beginning of, uh, before um, the, the gathered worship time, um, we gather to pray, we anoint people with oil, we pray for healing. We've even, we even encourage that and share stories in our gospel moments about praying for healing um, as, we're, as we're meeting in coffee shops or as we're working out at the gym or um, in all different ways we've shared those kinds of stories. But, but let's be really clear. Physical healing is temporary. Spiritual healing is eternal. And, and to be born again is to be made perfect, is to be, is to be healed perfectly and eternally. And that's ultimately why that's really the big miracle that happens here. Perfect healing is found in resurrection glory. Now look at verses um, 9 through 11. He says, I'll go on, he says, And all the people saw him and were praising God. So, so here's the testimony that comes from the physical healing. And they're taking note of him and being of one as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple and beg for alms. So they recognize him for having been this cripple. And it says, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them 
at the so-called portico of Solomon that was on the, on the far end of the temple mount of the, of the temple. Um, it's still there today, actually. That part of the temple is. It says, and they were full of amazement. So as he's walking and leaping and praising God, all of the people take notice. And they begin to wonder what's going on. And they begin to, to um, praise God for what has just happened. Guys, do, do you see what happened here? P Peter gets sealed in the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. He immediately starts to live in the power of that Spirit. That same Spirit is, is inside of us. That same power is inside of us. God did not bring us to life spiritually to leave us in a cemetery. The question is, are we living that active, power-filled Christian life? Jesus said in John 10, 10, that he came that we might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. He also said in Hebrews that he will never leave us or forsake us. That, that means that like, like, like not just from a distance he's going to look over and wave at us occasionally. It means he, once you're, he's in us, he's always in us, and he isn't ever going to not be in us. But do we live that way? We, we love the verse at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. The last verse says, and lo, I am with you always. Matthew 28, 20, 19. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? We love that. Lo, I am with you always, even to, especially with what's going on in the world right now. And, and we sort of see the Bible unfolding before our very eyes. Man, we want to be sure that Christ, that we want to know and, and cling to the truth that Christ is with us to the end of the age. But guys, that is only true if we're following the, the verse right before that. Right before he says, and lo, I am with you, is go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then, if you're doing that, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus tells us over and over, Paul tells us, don't worry, don't be anxious. Not just because worry is a waste and, and anxiousness zaps us of our but be, but because it distracts us from christ's beth we cannot simultaneously be worried about what's going on in the world and, and, and how we're going to live and 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 being distracted by the things that distract us and be living the spirit-filled powered-filled life we just it cannot happen we are either moving in that direction living power spirit-filled or we're moving away from that that's the truth so the question, today's question was, how have you seen Christ's soul-changing glory? So how do you see? How do you see this soul-changing glory? Well, we have to see the world he has placed us in, your particular corner of the world, which right now may feel really small because you're in a home, but there are ways even from your home or from your place of work that maybe has fewer employees present, your schools have closed, just like mine has, and, and you're doing everything online, there are still opportunities to be gospel-centered, gospel-proclaiming people. And we need to be about his business. Your table talk question is on the back of your connecting points. Hopefully you're, you're using those still. Um, hopefully you're using the leader helps that have been uploaded to our website as well, and, and you're... And you're um, using them to help generate family discussion. There's, there's additional discussion questions on the leader help sheets. Uh, we have the bulletin now. We have an e-bulletin that's going out. We're trying to give you as much, not just information about what's going on, but also just um, ways to be encouraged and to strengthen one another and to have gospel conversations together. So one of them is the table talk questions. So here's the table talk question that's on the, that's on the connecting points 
um, that you can, that you have available if you are if you would like it. And it says this: Are you living your life consumed in physical the physical needs of today? How has our current situation affected this? So have you gotten so caught up in 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 a physical need that you're afraid you're not going to have enough of that you're now living in fear and not by faith in Christ and 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 walking out his message how can you grow in light of that how can you grow in seeing the world through spiritual eyes so that you would walk in the power of the spirit how can you grow in seeing the world through spiritual eyes that you might grow in the power of the spirit take a few minutes and um, with whoever you're gathered with and talk about that question okay so today we're talking about um, this idea of seeing Christ's glory and how have you um, seen Christ's soul-changing glory. Right? One of the ways is by seeing the world through his eyes. It's by before you log on to your next Zoom meeting or before you even go out to go shopping, pray, Holy Spirit, show me somebody, show me an opportunity, and then give me the words to speak words of life over that person, and then give me the boldness to do it. That's one way. The second is we need to see how he heals. We're back in Acts and look at verse 12 it says but when peter saw this saw that the people had gathered around him that's where we left it he replied to the people men of israel why are you amazed at this why do you gaze at us as if you're as if by our own power or piety we are the ones who made him walk so peter is being um uncharacteristically humble right now he's giving all the glory to christ we're going to see in just a minute um, it's, 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 a, it's really, it, this is Peter's, what, what's called Peter's second defiant speech. He gave the first one in Acts chapter 2. This is, he is about to, to front up the very people he denied Christ in front of on the night that Christ was, um, that Christ was arrested, the day before he, or the night before he was crucified. Um, but what Peter sees now, because he is a spirit-filled person, why Peter is not afraid anymore He's not cowering and hiding anymore. He's boldly proclaiming is because he's living in the power of the Spirit. And what he sees is a gospel opportunity. He sees an opportunity. He's like, because of this physical healing that has taken place, God has gathered people, the Holy Spirit has gathered people to hear the message of the gospel. So look at what he says in verses 13 through 15. He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Speaking of Barabbas. But you put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. I love how he says in verse 14, he calls Jesus the holy and righteous one. That is, that is referring back to, they, they would have, the audience would have clearly understood Isaiah multiple times refers to the coming Messiah as the holy and righteous one. So it's Peter's way of saying, you killed the promised Messiah. And then in verse 15 when he says the author of life. So, so in that first when he says the holy and righteous one, he is, he is making a story connection for them. He's saying this, the story that God has been telling since, since the beginning that we looked at in the Seder meal, the, from, from the beginning to the end of, of, of redeeming his people through a great redeemer, through the Messiah, through the, the Christ who we know as Jesus. Oh, by the way, 
that, that is the one that you killed. He is the author of life. Now, now Peter's making a theological connection. He's saying Jesus is the author of life. The author of life they would have known to be God. So he's saying Jesus is God. And then I love how in verse 15 he says, you put this prince of life to death. God raised him from the dead. And this is a fact in which we are witnesses of. So basically what he is saying here is, you killed him, God raised him, we saw him, bam. Like, it is, it is as clear a gospel message as, as, as it could possibly be. And then in verse 16, he goes on and he says, And on the basis of faith in his name, in Christ's name, it is that the name of Jesus which strengthened this man, whom you see and know, and the, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of all. A lot of those personal pronouns of him, it gets a little confusing. So the faith that comes through Christ has given him, the lame man, this perfect health in the presence of all. Perfect health. Not, not just the ability to walk, perfect health. But what is perfect health? It goes back to that first point, right? Salvation is perfect health and resurrection glory. And ultimately, that's what Peter is talking about. And he's saying, where did that come from? It didn't come from the man's faith. It came from the faith, it came from the power found in the name of Jesus Christ. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Right? It, it came from the faith that Peter and John had in that name to look at a man and go, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do right here? Have the Holy Spirit prompt them and say, you know what, there's power in the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, stand up. And they... And the man is physically healed, which leads to his spiritual healing, which leads to this gospel opportunity. He goes on in verses 17 and 18 to say, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as the rulers, your rulers did also, the ones that, that, that were the, the Pharisees that, were, that put Jesus on trial. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, and that all that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So he's saying, he's, so, so I love that, that little scene there in those two verses because we, Peter failed, right? Peter acted in ignorance. He denied Christ three times, the last time very vulgarly because he was scared to death that he was going to be killed too. And yet he, by grace, in this beautiful scene that we see at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus restores him. And now Peter is offering up that same grace to these people. Because Peter gets that he was a failure apart from the grace of God, apart from the power of the Gospel in his life. He, was a, he failed Christ. He's not looking at them and going, how dare you do, have done what you've done. Right? It's, it's part of why I don't understand like the people that are... That are, um, that are it isn't as big a deal as it used to be, but there was, a, there was a time where the Jewish people, the church, the Christian church, really did not look kindly at the Jewish people because they're the ones who crucified Christ. Well, one, there's so much wrong with that, theologically even, but two, you look and you say, do you not get that you're the one that crucified Christ, that I'm the one that crucified Christ? Right? Peter's saying, I put Jesus on the cross, and he showed me grace. 
Do we have that kind of grace for the people that are denying Christ? Are there people that you look at, whether it's because they have a different belief system, they have a different life system, they have a different worldview, maybe they're people that are in your family that, that you've shared the Lord with multiple times and they just keep rejecting it, not you, it feels like you, but it really is it. Jesus said that, that when they reject you because of me, they're actually rejecting me. But do you, do you, have you turned that to, uh, you know what, just get them, God. Peter is saying no. You know, he could have just said, you know what, you guys killed Jesus. Rain fire down. And he didn't because he knows that that's not what grace does. He had been restored by grace. He is offering these same people an opportunity to be healed by grace. Guys, do you see the empty tomb, the resurrection, the ascension, his promised return? Like, like, like our salvation is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. Peter gets sealed in the Spirit. He gets empowered by the Spirit. That isn't the end of the story. He doesn't just go home and go, thank you, Lord, I can't wait for you to come back. From now on, he's living and eventually dying, crucified upside down, what, church, um, what the church tradition tells us, because everything after his salvation was the, was the exciting part of the story, and it should be for us too. Guys, if he has saved you, he has healed you. Perfect health. Physically, financially, in every sense. If he has saved you, he has healed you. Guys, that is the truth. Don't let what is true in your life right now, don't let what is true in the world right now, that it feels just really odd and different and sometimes scary, honestly, when you're out and, and how people are responding to all that's going on in our world right now and all the I'll get into this a little bit more next week, I think, but all the end time stuff that's getting thrown out there and the conspiracy theories that are getting thrown out there. And don't let all of that stuff that feels true right now change what you know to be the truth. Right? The truth is that if you are saved, you are sealed and you are healed. And hang on to that. So today's question is, how have you seen Christ's soul-changing glory? Well, one of the ways we need to see it is we need to see it in how he heals human hearts. How he heals human hearts. Guys, do you really believe that Jesus will, can handle anything you throw at him? Do you really believe he wants to? Today's Table Talk question, this, the second one for this point is, what is it that you're afraid of that his resurrection power cannot overcome. Guys, because the only way that any of what I just said is true is if, is if you hold nothing back. If, whether it's a secret sin or whether it's a fear or whether it's just a part of you that isn't quite ready to let go, if, if you're not ready to give it all to him, right? even if you're already saved, if you're not ready to give it all to him, you can't do what this question is compelling us to do. So take, some, take a few minutes and answer the question, what is it that you're afraid of that his resurrection power that we're celebrating today cannot overcome in your life? Okay, so the question is, how have you seen Christ's soul-changing glory? The first thing was we need to be seeing it through his eyes. We need, the next is we need to be seeing how he heals human hearts. And then finally, and this is our last point, we need to be seeing his heart for you. The way to see his soul-changing glory is to see his unshakable, overwhelming heart for you. Look at Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and, through 20, through, and 19 and 20. It says, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away 
in order that times of refreshing may come for the presence from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed to you. If you look at, at that passage and, and when he says, therefore repent and return for your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come. Guys, repent, re- remember, re- repenting and returning, it, biblically it, it means, it, it's from, in a moral sense. It is, it, is return, it is turn, repent is turn, and return, it is turn back to God. Remember, repentance isn't just stop sinning, but repentance is replace that sin by, by turning back to and, 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 and walking towards and with Christ to be conformed into his image. That's what biblical repentance looks like. And but repentance is also a plea. We, we think we, we hear that word repentance, and in our especially in our culture, that doesn't that doesn't sell real well these days. Repentance? What are you asking me to repent of? Right? Like that's somehow implying I'm bad. Well, one, yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Two, it it, it is God's desire. It is God's plea to our to, from His heart to our heart to say, turn from that junk and turn to Me. Right? It's, it's, if you go back a page, and this is my Bible, it's a page, you go back, to, back a page to Acts chapter 2, it's, it's right after Peter gives his first dis- defiant speech, he shares the gospel in front of this crowd of people that, have, that had crucified Christ, and then it says this, this, this is the people's response in Acts 2.37. Now when they heard this, they heard the message of the gospel, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter's response was, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, that's us, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. He is still calling people to himself through the simple repent and believe. Guys, every gospel proclamation in the Bible that's the message. Repent, repent, and believe. Repent and believe. Unfortunately, in the church today, that is not the gospel that is often presented. But repentance is necessary. Guys, he is shaking the world awake. If, 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 we, if we didn't see that in our study last spring and all through last summer in Revelation where, where he was using plagues and the bowls of wrath, and, and ultimately those were all gracious opportunities that he did not have to give the world to wake up that is what he's doing right now that's what that's what they t- the guys talked about daniel and chad talked about last week in the seder is he is shaking his bride awake come out of her my people revelation 18 4 and 5 that you will not partake in her plagues revelation 18 4 and 5 right he is shaking his bride and the world awake so what do we need to do what's our role in all of that repent that that's our part in salvation is repentance it is, it is not just stop that sin, Doug. Stop that sin. It is turn to God. It is step toward Christ. It is lean into him. It is enter the space that he has created by his grace for you to enter into the presence of God because when he died on the cross, the veil tore. He has invited you into his, into his presence. These people that Peter is addressing had refused a pre-cross Christ. Right? They'd refused him. Crucify him. Crucify him. They're now being offered a post-resurrected Christ. He's, he's still alive. 
and he's still offering to for, for you to come to him. Guys, so are we. We are being offered a post-resurrected Christ. Why? For salvation. So that your sins will be wiped away, Peter said. I'll be talking about that in the coming weeks. In order that times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord would come. Christ's death on the cross made that possible. He tore the veil that allows us to enter into his holy of holies, that, that allows us to enter into that holy space that we are no longer kept from because of what Christ has done for us. Do you want to be refreshed? Do you want to feel the sweet refreshment of the presence of the Lord? Guys, then come to, then, then come to him through the one who tore the veil. That's how we get there. It is by walking with him into that space that he has created for us. He did this by dying for us. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That's what Ephesians tells us. And then in verse 20, in Acts 3.20, he says, And he, that he may send Jesus, so God may send Jesus, the Christ appointed to you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from ancient times. So Peter is saying, God has been telling a story that there's, there was creation, there was the fall, there was redemption, and then there's restoration. And that what has happened is the redemption has occurred for those who will repent and believe in Christ and what he did on the cross, and he rose again. And that time of restoration that the prophets talk about as well, the second coming of Christ when the new heaven and the new earth are coming and we'll all be together and fully gathered, um, no longer... Um, I mean, it'll be like church on steroids. It'll be like Sunday, the Sunday gathering on steroids. It, it is a time of restoration. Guys, th that, is, that is what the, the psalmist in Psalm 110, when he says, when he says your, the Lord said to my Lord, come here until I make an enemy the footstools of your feet. He is, what, what the psalmist was saying was, the Messiah is going to come up here and sit at my right hand until I do what needs to be done in the world so that people will either come to me or they will have clearly rejected me and then I will send you back. That's Psalm 110 verse 1. Re words like repentance and refreshment speak of redemption. When he uses fra a phrase like the period of restoration that Peter talks about next in, in um, verse 21, that's kingdom talk. That's Christ's coming kingdom. That's the final restoration. And that's ultimately what, what he's talking about. Peter is putting a, 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 an end on the resurrection story by already flashing forward to the, to the full restoration. Why? Because he wants to be with you and I for all eternity. Guys, why do people make Christianity out to be this standoffish, um, narrow-minded, um, closed-off clique of people? Right? Yes, the way is narrow. Yes, it, the gate is small. Yeah, it, but it's offered to everybody, and he's the one that paved the way. If the way is narrow, he paved it. it, it, it the, the offer is completely inclusive to, any, all, to all who will come. That's what he says. The question is, will we? Will you? Will your family members? Will the clerk at the checkout counter? Will the people in your Zoom class? Will they repent and believe? Will they come? Guys, if, if we're ashamed to speak of the right and righteous wrath of God, that, that the end is coming, that he is shaking the world awake, 
it's because we don't really understand that the, the, the same God who who is justified in being right and righteous and just and judgmental is also the one who provided the instrument of his judgment to be poured out on Christ. It, it is it is he is the he is the propitiation the payment for our sin. We don't need to apologize for God being that way because he's he said yes I must punish sin and oh by the way I'm gonna pun I'm gonna put that sin I'm gonna punish myself on that. There's no apology we need to do. Jesus did that. The Alpha and the Omega did that. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords did that. He doesn't need an apology. Preach the gospel. The whole thing. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That you are dead in your trespasses and sins because that's what the effect of sin does. Is that From the fall, it made, it made the world start to die. This... COVID-19 is in the world because the world is just broken. It's part of the fallen. It's just like the thorns on my roses over there. It's, someday there'll still be roses, but no thorns. But, but we can't apologize for that. Guys, but we've got to be able to share the story. And, and we've got to tell the story well. This is not a book about how to live morally. right? This isn't a how-to book on living the good moral life. Don't treat it like that and don't share it like that. This is a book about how to meet the one who gives you eternal life. That's what this is about. This is about his story. We read yesterday in John chapter 11, if you're doing the daily readings, like I hopefully you are, and you're, and you're pinging people, hey, what did you get out of today's reading? Or what did, um, it, whether they be in your own home or people that you're, you can just call or text, or um, that it's a great way for us to be connected. We saw in John 11 that, that when Lazarus is, is, is dead and he's been in the grave for four days and, and, and his sisters are upset and he looks at his sisters and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will never die. They will live forever, even if they physically die. Do you believe this? Right? That's the question he's asking. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever would believe in him would never perish, but would have everlasting life. Because, because God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That is unapologetic. Yes, his judgment is coming. We see it. We see we, we see what's unfolding in our world, but that should compel us to share the good news, not keep us in fear. The last table talk question says this. God is telling a story, and it's the story of two comings, one of redemption and one of restoration. Are you ready to be restored? Then you must be redeemed. If you're not yet redeemed, if you're not yet his, today's the day. I'm going to pray to that end. Father, I thank you for the truth that, um, that you are a just and a justifying God, that you are right and righteous, and that you are holy and have put the whole of the wrath that I deserve onto your son. And all those who believe have that truth. So what I want to pray right now for those that are hearing this, whenever, wherever they are, that, that you would turn their heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Lord, in the power of the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, it is that name, the name above all names, 
that saves. That's what healed the man in Acts. That's what will heal these people right now. Lord, I pray that that you would open their eyes, that they would behold the beauty that is Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Guys, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just prayed, for, for if you just felt the Spirit change your heart, tell somebody. Call me. Call one of the leaders. Talk to the person that you're sitting next to. Right, but, but, but guys, don't let the moment pass. Then the, the table talk question says, if you are already his, can you tell his and your story? You know, I was, I'm going to finish up with this. I had not planned to, but I was praying with a brother on the phone yesterday. And um, we were just talking about everything that's going on and how hard things have been in our lives and, and just sharing with one another and praying for and with each other. But I, as, as, as my brother was praying, the, the vision, the word that God gave me was, um, out of John, out of the Gospel of John. And, and so we see in John 13 when Jesus is washing their feet and first is Peter's like, no, you can't have this part of me. You can't have my feet. And he's like, well, if I can't have that part, I want no part. And then Jesus, Peter, in typical Peter's like, then, then take all of me. Then, then I'm all in for you, right? And, and aren't we sometimes like that? You can't have this part of me. Oh, oh and it, but now you can have all of me. And we're back and forth just like Peter was. And then Thomas in John 14, it says, and then Thomas, you know, Peter, or Jesus is talking about, I'm going to go away, and you guys, but, but soon you guys are going to come. And Thomas says, how can we follow you? We don't know the way. And, and Jesus says, I'm the way. Like, Thomas, I'm the way. Like, just, just do what I do. Just follow me. Like, just, just, just do what I've taught you. But, but aren't we like that? Like, Lord, show me the will of God and show me what you're doing and, and, and help me know what, whether I should do this or that. And he's just like, just follow me. Just do the next right thing that I told you to do. And then after that, and this was the part that really struck me, was um, Philip then says, okay, okay, Jesus, then just show us the Father and it is enough for us. It was his way of saying, show us the glory and that'll be enough. And you can almost picture Jesus like, going Philip have I been with you so long that you and you still don't see you still don't see I am the glory and what struck me was in kind of our vernacular that we've been using a lot at Cornerstone lately is it's Jesus is saying to us oh, oh, let me back up we're often saying I'm my heart is saying I, I'm talking to people that are that are saying like, I just, I just wish I knew what in the world God was doing. Right? I, I wish I could even, even though I know Revelation or I see it in Revelation, I don't really, I don't really see exactly how this fits there, and I don't either. But, but, but I wish he would just share the story with me, whether it's the global story or just my story. Just, just tell me how my story ends, Lord. And, and, and that, that's what Philip was saying. Show me the glory. What we're saying is, over and over we're saying it. Jesus, show me the story. And what Jesus is saying, to, what sa said to me with this brother on the phone yesterday, and what he's saying to us this morning is, don't you get it? I'm the story. I'm the story. Just, just share me. Just tell people about me. I'm the point of the story. It's not... Doug. It's not even Christ in Doug. It's Christ. He's the story. My problem, your problem, is we make the story about us and how we fit in 
the story. May we be a people who just make him the story and tell it, tell his story of redemption and the coming restoration. Tell his story of grace and truth. Tell his story that if there's a God who so loved the world, he gave his only son. That's his story, but it's ours to tell. I, I pray that we would be a people cornerstone, our family, that we would be a people that would be about telling his story. We are kingdom people living by kingdom power for kingdom glory. Let's pray. So Father, I just pray that to that end. I pray on this Resurrection Sunday that the power that, that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. If we are yours, it is ours. It is available. We have no reason to fear. We have no reason to doubt. Yes, there's a lot of stuff that's true in our world right now, but what is truth is that your power is in us. That you are still telling your story and you are moving it forward to perfection. The pages are turning. We're just a few of the letters on the page. It's not about the letters. It's about the story. It's about the book. So let us turn off the, the other pieces, the, the, the news and the junk and the, and the, and the, and the videos about all the, cons all the, just the stuff. And let's just turn to you and, and know your story and bathe in your story and step into your story and share your story as your kingdom people living by your kingdom power for your kingdom glory. And in the power of the name that heals and seals and saves Jesus Christ. We pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter, everybody. Love you. Miss you much. She's leading it. How does it go? These are the days of Elijah. Okay, just declaring go. the word of the Lord. That's and it. These are the days you're, you've shh, been singing the song since you were two. Okay, have fun. We've been recording. <laughs> hey! Okay, go. Go.
Oh. 